<clears throat> so Jeremiah chapter 7, continued prophecy, uh, this uh, starts to really take on uh, a few things in this passage, a uh, very direct confrontation to uh, the people of Israel, and uh, particularly the southern two tribes there in Judah, and, uh, the you know, religious center of Jerusalem. So Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, stand in the gate at the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. So there is the particular problem by this point where uh, people are still coming to the temple and offering their sacrifices and performing all of the religious rituals and rites, but they're living uh, in some of the most gross, not just sin, but idolatry. Uh, so now uh, that the judgment of the Lord is about to fall on them, there's a great division in the land. There's uh, a very strong sense of everyone saying, you know, we have the temple, we have the Lord, he is our protector. And by the end of this chapter, uh, he's going to address specifically uh, the location of Shiloh and the fact that, uh, you know, the nation of Israel had trusted in uh, the location of Shiloh and the Ark of the Covenant uh, in such a way that they were they were treating it like a good luck charm, uh, even though they were living in gross sin against the Lord. Uh, you know, they had the attitude, uh, you know, hundreds of years previous to this, like, oh, well, we've still got the Ark of the Covenant. And the, the Lord is saying through Jeremiah here, well, you know, don't trust the lying lips. You know, the, the false prophets, the false teachers that are saying you've still got the temple. You've still, you know, got these articles and this place of worship and, you know, all of these rituals that you're engaged in. Therefore, you have the protection of the Lord. They're living in idolatry. They're rebelling against God. And so, you know, Jeremiah comes through clear as a bell to say, that's not going to protect you. You can act like it is, uh, but it's not. I immediately thought of Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus uh, warns us, saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So, you know, the uh, lawlessness uh, should always be thought of as that morality, uh, not some legal um, approach to things because, you know, our cult culture is 
rapidly legalizing everything. So, you know, you're not really lawless. <laughs> you're just, you're doing what everybody else does. Um, you know, in, ca in case you're wondering, you know, people get upset with me about this, but I have never really cared about people getting upset with me. Um, they get upset uh, because I'll mention by name, like uh, Mayor uh, Pete uh, Buttigieg, who's, you know, running for president. Um, he has publicly announced that he thinks we should legalize uh, like all drugs, you know, legalize prostitution, legalize, you know, all kinds of things. Because, you know, people are just going to govern themselves however they want to. And if we just have these laws in place, then that means we're going to have to be arresting people and then we're going to have to be incarcerating them. So it's not really going to change anything is, uh, you know, his mentality within that. Hey, you legalize these things and... It is going to change our culture. Uh, no one will be safe. Our families will not be safe. Uh, there are going to be many, many countless victims uh, from that level of lawlessness. The law lawlessness spoken of here is the throwing off of restraint and uh, not having any moral compass. Every, everyone agrees with one another of, yeah, this is fine. If that's the way you want to live, uh, go ahead and do those things. And it is still... Uh, going to result in God's wrath and his punishment. So Jesus saying that, you know, we have to follow him and live by his word and his practices, in particular, the compassion that he talks about there in Matthew, right? Because uh, when they make this claim of how they've cast out demons, done many wondrous works in his name, um, the uh, passage goes on to talk about how, you know, I was in prison, you didn't visit me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. So you're not caring for, uh, you know, the basic uh, needs of the people around you. And I hear a lot of people, you know, then uh, within Christianity begin to try and justify that of, well, you know, those are worldly people and those are sinful people. And uh, how else are we going to win them? You know, other than being compassionate, reaching out, showing kindness. Uh, that's what the Lord wants us doing. You know, how many of us, you know, the few of us in this room, we, we've had plenty of opportunities where, you know, you stop and change somebody's tire and you get to share the Lord uh, with them. You, you know, you take a meal to somebody you get to pray for them. Uh, those occasions where uh, we are compassionate and kind, uh, the Lord uses that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to, to leave our worldliness. He, he died for us while we were yet living in rebellion uh, to him. You know, his kindness is what leads us to repentance. So, you know, we need to have uh, the tender heart, uh, which comes from having a relationship with the Lord. These people have become cold and calloused. So they can go from the grossest of idolatry right back into worship. And we see that a lot within Christianity. People that are able to live completely worldly lifestyles and then also join us in worship. And they don't have any conscience about that. So uh, in chapter 7 at verse 5, it says, For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, do not shed 
innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your herd, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Now, um, you know, it comes to mind that right now there are a lot of people uh, using this passage and connected passages to talk about the issue of immigration. You know, do not oppress the stranger. Uh, you know, literally the alien, uh, you know, the foreigner from another country. Um, and, and they want to talk about how God gave this as a mandate to Israel. Well, they didn't have an open borders uh, policy in Israel where you could just come in. I mean, if you want to take this and apply it to the issue of immigration here in Israel, if you came into the nation, you had to become Israeli. In especially your worship, you couldn't come there with your paganism and live within their borders. You were welcome to join Israel in their worship of God, and and what we have, uh, you know, going on. There, there are two parts that I witness and read a lot that are going on. Uh, I'm pro-immigration, even pro-Muslim immigration, if we get the opportunity to uh, witness to them and share Christ with them. What we're seeing is that there's a conversion of our nation to those other belief systems, you know, where, where we're talking about, are we going to have Sharia law? Are we going to allow for Sharia courts to function within the United States? And by the way, there are already three. So, you know, I mean, there are crazy things that are happening to our culture all around us and we need to be very cautionary about the hurt that that's going to bring to the fatherless and the widow you know i mean examine sharia law for what it is uh, look at the oppression of women under sharia law L look at the cruelty uh, that is administered in so many ways uh, we would be wise uh, to be very cautious about who we're letting through the door you know there are other great arguments about the fact that Oh, well, you know, wonderful doctors and great scientists are, you know, coming from those other countries and, you know, bettering our country. Yeah, very true. That's actually always happened throughout our history. The problem is they don't improve their own country. They abandon their country and come here. We need them to improve. They need to improve their country. And how can we support them to stay there, become a politician and change their whole world? You know, the, the things that we see here have very modern applications uh, to us. Uh, you know, oppressing the stranger, the fatherless and the widow. You have to look at in context what's being said here of their cruelty and the way that they were so bloodthirsty in doing these horrendous things. It was because they had allowed the influence of the Canaanites and the surrounding nations to come into their nation and pollute their land. Notice, he says in verse 7, Then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. It's God's land. It's not the Israeli people's. It's his land. And he's given it to them as a nation. And he told them that. As long as you worship me, you can have the land. You don't, I'll drive you out because it's mine. You know, you're basically a tenant. I can evict you if I want to. And, uh, you know, so it is with every nation that rises to a place of prominence and doesn't show the proper 
honor to the Lord. If they will thoroughly amend their ways and their doings, thoroughly execute judgment between man and his neighbor, then God will perform this healing. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper. You want to hide it. You want to tuck it away. You know, it will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Uh, whether you're aware of it or not, and we have, you know, a couple young ladies in here with us, a little awkward, but um, there is a growing trend amongst the youth that, uh, okay, uh, you know, some of us in this room are old enough to remember when we were in grade school to simply ask someone to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend was a absolutely nerve-wracking experience of emotional meltdown you know you know later you know there were other things you know there's generations after us that look at that as you know so silly and antiquated and you know backwards you know today no joke these young people are paranoid about the thoughts of, you know, what we might have described years ago as dating or going out because it involves the automatic assumption that they're going to have to exchange nude pictures of themselves via their cell phones. Like that's part of the deal. Just if, if you're going to be somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend, this generation behind us, that's so young, so vulnerable. This is what parents, you got to talk to your children about uh, their electronic devices and what's going on. The deterioration of our culture. You know, when you're, when you're reading this thousands of years ago, <clears throat> they were falling into worse and worse conditions. We're going to talk about, you know, how they were killing their own children. Uh, right within this chapter, it's addressed. Uh, we are in that culture that is completely bankrupt and we are hiding that sin we are tucking it away we're sweeping it parents are just turning a blind eye to what their children are doing on their phones and on their computers we need to be responsible you know thoroughly amend our ways you know alfred kinsey in the kinsey report introducing pornography into our culture has led us to this place where, you know, the, our children are the victims. Our, our little boys and girls are the ones who are having their innocence just ripped out of their lives. That's our responsibility to put a full stop to that and actually do something, not just in our children's lives, in our culture. You know, to stand up and scream loud enough. You know, is not the opposition parading around in the street literally naked? with their flags and their banners, you know, declaring that this should be allowed, that this is right. We're in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's time for us to make a stand and to voice our opinion and oppose what's going on. The seven verse eight, behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal? That, that can literally be tra translated as the devil himself. You know, Baal worship was devil worship. So you're going to literally burn incense to Baal, walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, 
we are delivered uh, to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I have seen it, says the Lord. You know, it, it's something that people have lost touch with, the fact that the Lord sees all things. And he is the judge of all of us. Uh, the record of what we've done is not hidden. It's laid open before the Lord. He sees theft, murder, the committing of adultery, swearing falsely, burning incense to Baal. You know, there there is so much corruption all around us in our world. And uh, we're just turning a blind eye more and more. Right, right now, right, we're days away from Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, all of the federal agencies that work in human trafficking, this is the time where they are ramping up the, the greatest efforts to capture people that are trafficking in human lives. Surrounding this one sporting event, there is more crime that is committed. People are transporting you know, women and children and boys and girls into this country in order to have their big fling all surrounding this one football event. That's a fact. And, and we like to just sort of close our eyes to that and root for our team. Our culture is thoroughly depraved. And human lives and souls are what we're talking about. This isn't an obscure thing. It's not a small thing. Our culture is a cesspool. And, uh, you know, if we escape it, you know, ourselves, we're content with, you know, well, at least it didn't rip the life out of me or my children. This, this is the culture we're bathed in constantly. It needs this. But don't trust in the lying words that cannot profit. You know, American pride. We lead the world in every sin and vice. The same as Israel. And, you know, I hope your mind immediately, verse 11, snapped to, you know, this statement here of, you know, my house has become a den of thieves. Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 12, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. You know, a den of thieves. John and I were just talking uh, before uh, the song service about a lot of the influence of these modern Christian music organizations, you know, and the corruption. You really ought to take the time to look at the luxurious, you know, multi-million dollar homes that the lead singers of Hillsong live in. You know, the exorbitant wealth that they bathe themselves in constantly. You know, Bethel music and its absolutely corrupt teaching and inside their churches. The, the church is just lost in what is true, what is right, what is good. You know, Den of Thieves, oh, well, the record sales are through the roof. Yeah, but your doctrine's completely wrong. You know, I mentioned just before service 
there's this new song about, and, and you're hearing it on all the different Christian radio stations, except for 99.5, praise God. You know, it's called Holy Water. Well, in, in case you're not aware of it, we don't have holy water. You know, this is a Catholic ritual that has polluted Christianity, right? You, I mean, what's holy water? It's going to drive off the vampires in your neighborhood? You know, I mean, realistically, you know, every one of you Christians in this room that I know, you, you wash your car with holy water. I mean, it belongs to you. You're a Christian. That makes it holy. Yeah. What is holy water? You got holy water in your sink. You got holy water in every you know place in your home. It's like holy water on my skin. No, no. What we need in our heart is the Holy Spirit. You know, you say something that has this deep ritualistic Christianity weirdness behind it, and everybody goes, "What a wonderful song!" Really. Is it a wonderful song? It's not a wonderful song. It's a song that's introducing a concept to mainstream Christianity. I mean, right, we're a Protestant church. Whether people recognize that or not, we are a Protestant church. The, the term, the root word there is protestant, right? Protestant against the Pope. Right? Have you have you read the things this man has said? Are you, are you understanding the ideas that he's promoting? Are you understanding the direction that he's taking large portions of Christianity? He, he's taking them into things that are non-Christian. He's promoting things that are non-biblical, sinful, outright. Well, for what? For the almighty dollar. Right? The Catholic Church is being diminished through their great scandals because they disobey the word of God, won't allow their priests to marry. So now the perversion has entered into the priesthood. Now they're having to pay out all these settlements. And now we're supposed to listen to this man who's as sinful as anybody else and follow what the Lord led Christianity out of. Christianity was all engaged in Roman Catholicism and Luther steps into the picture and pulled, Christ uses him and the Holy Spirit to draw Christianity out of that. And the church becomes protestant against Catholicism. And now if you dare say that, people freak out. Listen, I know there are Christians within Roman Catholicism. I know that. I'm not deceived, right? It's rooted in Christianity. There are those who worship Jesus for their salvation inside the organization. Praise God. They need to be delivered out of it into just the salvation that the Lord has given every one of us. It addresses it more as we move on. The den of thieves, the corruption, you know, the Lord is saying you get these Phrases that you tell yourself, these lying things you tell yourself, and it isn't going to save you. 7 verse 12. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh. Now, Shiloh originally was like Jerusalem for the first 400 years of Israel. That was where the tabernacle stood. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the center of worship was. 
and they fell into corruption. I mentioned earlier, and you know, the first phase of the destruction of Shiloh came through the Philistines, and they captured the ark and took it away. And later, David restored it, as you may remember, bringing it in to Jerusalem initially, bringing it in improperly. And Uzziah dies, and then later he reads the word of God and recognizes it needs to become, you know, brought in on the shoulders of the priests. So it's restored under David at that point. But Shiloh was that center of worship. So now go to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people. And now, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called to you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. Now pause for that and just think for a moment, guys. 400 years, Shiloh was the center of worship, right? Destroyed. Philistines took it. Nation falls into ruin. Shiloh falls into ruin. God's restoration, rebuilding, now you come to the place where a couple hundred years later, they've fallen into sin again and they've got a temple and God is saying, you're not going to want to trust in this place. Don't say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Don't say that. Destruction is coming. We haven't even been here for 300 years yet. And look at the corruption of this nation. Look at how thoroughly sinful we are. As a people, and people act like, well, it couldn't happen to us. Yeah, he's literally saying, examine Shiloh, right? At this point, at this hour, Shiloh now has two distinct uh, levels of destruction that have occurred to it. Uh, the first was uh, the Philistines, the second one was in the north when Assyria came down and just destroyed all of that region taking the 10 northern tribes away captive and now the two southern tribes are, are nestled together down near jerusalem saying to themselves but we've got the temple and god is warning them that's not going to save you you're going to experience my wrath i will cast you out of my sight as i have cast out all your children the whole posterity of ephraim he often refers to the 10 northern tribes as ephraim uh, your neighbors, your brothers, the 10 northern tribes have all been taken away captive. Shiloh lays in desolate ruins, unoccupied currently. Got to wake up to what God's judgment is and, and how it's coming. Uh, the psalmist actually made comment to this in Psalm 78 at verse 58. For they provoked me to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their carved images. When God heard this, he was furious and greatly abhorred Israel so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had placed among men. We're in the midst of studying Leviticus on Sunday mornings, and you're just seeing all of those ornate details of the tabernacle and its construction and the articles of worship, and God is saying, yeah, I just bulldozed that. That, that. that disgusted me so bad. 
all that I had set up for them, all that they were engaged in and worship. I just took that golden box, my Ark of the Covenant, and I just gave it to the Philistines. There, there's a trophy for you. And they marched off with it. It caused great plagues amongst them. But then I just wrecked Shiloh. I think that's a very sobering thing to hear from the Lord, that he's not going to tolerate this type of rebellion and idolatry and let it go unpunished. 16, if you think I was going too far with the references to Roman Catholicism, let's examine this section. Uh, 7 verse 16, therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. That's That is a really heavy verse in all of the scripture. Don't don't pray to me about these people. Jeremiah, stop. I do do not want to hear you pray. I, I hope you're really catching the gravity of the Lord in this. this. This whole complete pansy approach of our culture that acts like, oh, to, you know, be aggressive is a terrible thing. This is the heart of God right here. That's saying to Jeremiah, these people have forsaken me and betrayed me, and I want you to stop praying to me about them. Wow. That's that's as heavy a verse in the scripture as I can think of. It's heartbreaking that God would come to this point. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood. The fathers kindle a fire. The woman needs the dough to make cakes for, I underlined this, the queen of heaven. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but that's what Roman Catholicism refers to Mary as. She is the queen of heaven. In Roman Catholicism. Why in the world? (laughs) Even if it's just an oversight. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even if it's just an oversight on their part. Why in the world would you ever try to venerate Mary by taking a statement out of the scripture that the Lord condemns and assigning it to her? As far as we know, she doesn't hear our prayers. That's, you know, you say that in certain circles of Roman Catholic influence and it's blasphemy, right? As far as we know, from the scripture, she doesn't hear our prayers. No saint hears our prayers. There's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. No, no one else hears nor answers our prayers. Jesus Christ alone lives, as Hebrew says, to always make intercession for us. If Mary is aware of this, imagine how heartbroken she is to be referred to as the queen of heaven. When, when the Lord here is condemning it, why, why does the Lord not want to hear their prayers anymore? Why? Because they're praying to the queen of heaven. That's quite a statement. You haven't read Dave Hunt's book, A Woman Rides the Beast. I can't recommend it enough. It really it will open your eyes to the demonic, horrible influences uh, that are inside Roman Catholicism. Uh, you know, revelation referring to the woman, this idolatrous religion that rides on the political system, the beast. And think of how inter interwoven Roman Catholicism is with 
politics. You ever you ever wonder why the priests don't get prosecuted? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why aren't these guys? Because they're emissaries of another country. The Vatican is its own country, right? We can't. We they have diplomatic immunity. You're going to go through like a massive political process to prosecute one of these men. Right? If a Baptist minister does that, they just crucify that guy, you know, and to a degree, rightfully so. Why, why are these guys getting away with it? They're politically protected. It's crazy what we see going on around us. So here within Israel, the children gather wood, fire. You know, I'll get emails about this message. You can guarantee that. People will fire off a few. The daughter, uh, the children gather wood. The father kindles a fire. The woman need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? I'm not really doing anything, the Lord says. They're doing it to themselves. Oh, I, I, uh, Sort of humorous there. I think I've shared this story before. My wife was traveling with a bunch of ladies from the church, and she bought the grandkids one of those gifts. You strap the you know band around your arm, and it has the elastic with the ball on the end, and you can like throw the ball, and it comes back to your hand. And now she's like goofing around, throwing it at people, and like pulling it back before it hits them. And at one point, she chucks it out the window of the hotel that they're staying in, and it goes out of sight. And just as she's like leaning forward to say, like, where did that go? It comes flying back in the window and nails her right in the face. You know, and everybody got a big kick out of that. Right. <clears throat> the Lord is saying, I'm not the one who's doing this to you. You're doing this to yourself. You're the one that is causing yourself the embarrassment. You're the one that's causing yourself the shame. You're the one that's causing yourself the punishment. This is all you. Because I brought you out of your bondage and your captivity and I delivered you into this land and I was, you know, the power that protected you and defeated your enemies. And now what are you doing? You're worshiping the God of your pagan neighbors. You're honoring the queen of heaven over me. You're the one that's going to have this punishment upon yourself. Proverbs 8 verse 36 says, he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. You're doing it to yourself. Isn't that God's doing it? All those who hate me love death. Pretty obvious what we're doing to ourselves when we rebel against God. Therefore, verse 20, thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man, on beast, on the trees of the field, on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. You guys aware of the locust plague in Africa right now? Literally, they are saying, this is right now. They're, you know, they're saying that it is perhaps the worst locust plague in history. The cattle in the fields are confused, unable to function properly because these insects flying in the air, they don't understand direction or sound or, and this is not even the worst of it, right? Because right now they're just currently consuming the vegetation. They're saying, wait until we get to the spring of the year and the harvest. There's going to be a famine and plague like you never see. That's now. This isn't the ancient world or some you know, thing, right? Here we are, coronavirus. Everybody's in a panic. Now, have you noticed the earthquakes? Everywhere. You know, no, go, go home, go online, pick up your phone right now and 
you know, look at the earthquake. You can go like download earthquake applications and volcano applications. Like more volcano activity right now worldwide than ever before in history. More earthquake activity worldwide than ever before in history. What did Jesus say? Right? Famine, plague, you know, pestilence, earthquakes, uh, war, rumors of war. I'm at the door. It's time for us, right? The few of us in this room, those of us that might listen to this online, to be truly repentant people who have truly amended our ways. We're all sinners, every one of us. That's not the point. We all need God's forgiveness. We need to be on our face is where we need to be. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, my anger, my fury will be poured on this place. Man, beast, trees, field, fruits of the ground, and it will be burned and not be quenched. Now, the beautiful thing is, for those of us that repent, we don't have to experience any of that. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The door of salvation is wide open, and the invitation is always ready. Anyone that wants to step through Jesus Christ and experience his grace and forgiveness can. And that's what the Lord is actually doing with Jeremiah right here, trying to bring these people to repentance. 721, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land. These sacrifices and these Meat offerings and your, you know, sacrifices that you're bringing. But go ahead, do all of that. That wasn't my command when I delivered your people out of Egypt. And if you think for just a moment, your mind might go, wasn't it? No, that wasn't until they were in the wilderness. He delivered them without those things. He didn't, he didn't say, okay, now you got to do all of these things and then I'll deliver you. And the point he's going to make is... So it wasn't those sacrifices and all of those practices that brought my nation salvation. I brought you salvation. It was a relationship with me. It was none of what you were doing. You're thinking, oh, we're doing all these things. Therefore, we've still got the favor of the Lord. And, and in particular, right, this whole chapter, that's what they're focusing on. Oh, right, the 10 northern tribes have been taken, but we've got the temple and we're still performing the sacrifices. So that's why we're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Israel got wiped out so long ago, but we've got the Bible and now we get together and we share communion. We've got Jesus. Not if we're living according to the world and rebellion to him and in sin. Right. We could point at ourselves right now. And say, right, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Our bodies. Are they? Let's make sure that they are, that we don't defile them and end up with this same. Con I don't ever want to know that the Lord is saying, please don't pray for Will Cass. I do not want to hear one more prayer for that guy. I never want to get to that place where the Lord is saying, I can't, I can't even handle that person anymore. We need to live in that 
fear of the Lord, which generates obedience. So, you know, were you were you doing these sacrifices when I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices? But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent you, uh, sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Each generation was worse than the previous generation. I sent my prophets to you, and you hated my prophets. They showed up and pointed their finger in your face and said, you're wrong, repent, grow up, become mature. And they hated that. Didn't want it. Didn't like it. Too confrontational. Jeremiah is just black and white and just telling us all off. And we hate that guy. And the result is they're going to experience God's punishment. Look at Second Peter. If you can put your bookmark in Jeremiah, travel hard to the right to Second Peter chapter 2. There's a few verses here that really stand out. Second Peter chapter 2, looking at verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and there's a whole lot of speculation about what's meant by that, and honestly, you don't have to get caught up in that. You know, right, Lucifer was an angel. And one third of the angels followed him in rebellion. And we know that they are reserved under judgment and going to experience hell in the end of things. So he delivered them into chains and darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people. Ah, that's kind of frightening. Think about that. People talking about how many millions of Christians there are on this world right now. God only saved eight people the last go-round, you guys. Eight people. I mean, we know there's an innumerable company in heaven. So we know there's much more than that. But but that should shock us into saying, I gotta pay close attention to my walk. And that's what Peter says. You gotta walk circumspectly. Under close examination, you've got to examine what's going on in your behavior and what it is that you're doing. He said, eight people, a preacher of righteousness, Noah, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterward live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Make no mistake, we cannot wear a Christian badge and say, that covers me. 
We have to walk circumspectly and in obedience. Therefore, you shall speak all these words to them. This is the Lord speaking directly to Jeremiah, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. That's really depressing to think about. That this prophet uh, prophet is going to exert this much energy into hearing the Lord and delivering his message, and no one's going to listen to him. But for Jeremiah, it is helpful to know he must only be faithful to deliver the message. That's all he's going to do. If people listen, great, wonderful. If they do not, that's not his responsibility, right? We're called to be sowers of the seed. Jesus teaches that parable. You don't have to worry, guys, gals, about the soil. The hard ground, the stony ground, the shallow ground. You don't have to worry about that. Just scatter the seed. Just share your faith. Just keep sharing your faith. If it's bouncing right off, people, pray to the Lord that he would tend the soil. Because what we're called to do is just scatter the seed. Share our faith with people. 28, so you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord, their God, nor receive correction. Uh, You've heard me many, many times talk about how the Lord uh, honors and, and venerates people who receive correction. And the wise son receives correction. You know, correct a wise man and he'll be wiser still. You hear all of these statements in the scripture about how correction is something that we need to embrace. We need to learn to enjoy it. And I mean that. You need to learn to enjoy it. You know, when the Lord is correcting you, when, uh, you know, someone is speaking to you, when circumstances are showing you something about yourself, you got to believe that's the Lord speaking to me right there. Oh, this is the Lord correcting me right here. Oh, this is the Lord refining me right here. You think about David when Absalom rebels against him and tears the nation away and they're all exiting out of the capital and Shimei comes out and is throwing stones and cursing David out and saying all kinds of terrible things to him, right? And his general is right there saying to him, you want me to just go over there and kill that dead dog right now? You know, this. you ever hear a dog that's injured, you know, and it's yiping and yelling and screeching? It's hideous. It's a terrible sound when a dog is injured. And that's how his general likens, you know, Shimei to this this guy's like a dead dog. He's over there like he's wounded. Can I just go finish him off? And David says, no, let him. Let him curse me. Let him throw his rocks. The Lord must have intended this. How wise is that? That David can recognize there's probably some truth in this. I probably need to hear this right now. I probably need this stern, harsh rebuke right now. He's going to be restored to the throne, right? Absalom's going to be killed. He's going to be heartbroken over that. He's going to be brought back to the throne. He's going to be given back his kingdom. And David says, no, this is appropriate for right now. He's wise enough to receive even a rebuke, to take it there in the moment, right? There's there's an ounce of truth in every pound of criticism, they say. You gotta you gotta filter through the pound <laughs> to get down to the truth. Uh, one ounce that's inside that. 
It's important for us. Now, these people, you go ahead, preach to them. They're not going to listen to you. Why? Because there are people that don't obey the voice of their God nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Think about that, right? Our culture is literally like filled with this debate. Like, is there any such thing as truth? Like, that's your truth. I got my own truth. Nobody can know the truth. You know, is truth out there? Everybody's wondering. No, Jesus Christ had that whole discussion with Pilate, right? He didn't, Pilate didn't say to Jesus, you know, tell me what the truth is. What he said was, what is truth? The question is, is there anything true? He's looking truth in the face. When you embrace God, you begin to know truth. When you don't, all you have is lies. Truth has perished, been cut off from the mouth. Cut off your hair, cast it away. Take up a lamentation on the desolate heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the sons of Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. Uh, that actually corrects uh, some uh, confusion, right? You got Abraham who takes Isaac up on the mountain and he's going to sacrifice him. And, you know, these modern critics, you know, pointed out, oh, look at the child abuse involved with that, look at the horrible things God is asking his people to do. God never asked Abraham to do that because he knew he wasn't going to allow it. So he's testing Abraham on his faith. And on what point? On what point of his faith? On the point about Isaac being the seed by which his whole family would be called. You know, Take your only son. He, he is understanding that he has to obey the Lord in this, but there's not going to be any child sacrifice. Why? Because it's never been God's command for us to kill our children. It's never been in his heart to do that. God had a lamb that he was going to sacrifice, the symbol of Jesus Christ. The confusion is dispelled by this. These people were worshiping Molech. And it was a God of sexuality and sexual pleasure. And of course, when you have sex, you have children. People get pregnant. And so what they would do is this metal God of various sizes, but sometimes very large, hollow. They would build a fire inside it. And once that fire had made this metal God uh, completely incandescent, so it was glowing uh, red or yellow with the heat, depending on what metal it was. His outstretched hands, this metal god, had his hands outstretched in front of him. Uh, they would have this massive ceremony, a pounding drums and rhythmic music, and they would take this child that had just been born, usually just moments before, and they would throw this newborn child in the burning hands of Molech, and it would just incinerate there in the moment. And they were doing this all the time, burning their children up in the fire. To this day, 
the most common form of abortion is a saline abortion. Inject the womb, heavy saline solution burns the child uh, to death inside the womb. The body automatically goes into a forced labor to get rid of uh, the child and the child is born, burned alive. Uh, we are burning our children in the womb. We're, we're just covering it up so we can't see it. Or we use some other barbaric method. We're using abortion as birth control. It's a horrendous thing that our culture is doing. I had a young couple come to me and they were about to get married. And um, I always have a discussion about birth control. Because uh, any of the methods that are used other than some barrier protection don't prevent pregnancy. The pill and all of these other ones, the, the egg is fertilized. IUD, they tell you, oh, no, it prevents uh, even the fertilization. That's false. It causes the uterine wall to shed in the menstrual normal menstrual cycle. That's what these products do. So even if the egg has been fertilized and even if it's embedded in the uterine wall, the uterine wall is shed. So therein, a, a pregnancy that had been begun was halted. Our culture wants the pleasures that belong only to marriage, which the fruit of is children. Even the church is engaged in this as much as the world. Why? Because it isn't obeying God in regard to sexuality. We don't listen. God's voice has been shut off from our ears. We don't receive correction and we just go our own way. Truth perishes in the process. This condemnation right here of Israel, that's our condemnation today. This isn't far from us. Listen, the judgment that God is pronouncing to the world is our judgment today. If we do not thoroughly amend our ways as Christians, as believers, it's a horrible thing that we are doing. Pursuing all of the things we want to without ever considering God. 732. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet, the valley of the sons of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. They have to bury, they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of heaven, the beasts of the earth. No one will frighten them away. Then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voices of mirth and the voices of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride. For the land shall be desolate. And it did eventually happen. Harrison, in his commentary, wrote, For the body to remain unburied, thereby providing food for carrion birds and rodents, was a thing of unspeakable horror for the ancient Hebrews. Ironically, their sanctuary would become their cemetery as the treasured homeland was ravaged. I think the same thing lies directly ahead of us as a nation if we do not repent. You know, I'm blessed by a lot of what I see going on, 
around us. And I know the Lord is pleasantly, you know, presently blessing us on many levels, but I can tell you that as a nation, if we don't repent, we have a similar future directly in front of us. The thing that breaks my heart about that more than anything, my grandkids, where we're headed and what, what lies ahead of these, these precious little people that we love so dearly. So, well, we'll pick up with chapter eight next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. The profound warning of the Lord. In history, whenever it's been ignored, you think about it, uh, the prophets often refer to how as the, the passers-by will uh, witness what Israel is going through, and as they pass by, they'll wag their head. And even now, as we read these passages, you read them and you just kind of like, Literally, just like that, you sort of shake your head. That's what's meant. Like, wow, you read this, what a blessed nation. You're just like, my goodness. The same thing's going to happen with us in history. The world is going to look on at what was so glorious, and they're just going to shake their head like, my goodness, because we've rejected Jesus Christ as a people. Father, oh, help us, the few of us in this room, to just tear our own hearts Lord, that we would be brokenhearted for what we read here and what we heard here, and that it would compel us to be in your word, even as we go home this evening, to review these passages and to wake in the morning with a fear in our heart that would fill us with joy, a fear that would compel us into your word and cause us to want to draw close to you. A fear of ourselves, knowing the sinfulness that's inside every one of us, knowing the things that Perhaps we're even presently involved in, and perhaps we're even presently hiding from other people. Help us, Lord, to forsake those things, to leave them behind, to be real people of honesty and truth, walking in fellowship with you above anything else, Lord. Fill us with a sincerity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.